I spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to be thankful this week, and uh, and and honestly, it became very overwhelming trying to kind of just comprehend where we are and, and how we think and what we pursue and what we think is important, and just a list of things. And and I was thinking about because we always try to make sense of this whole story as we kind of unpack it and and, and think through it. Is the reality of the fact that we are naturally bent towards not being thankful is apparent to us. And so we'll start there, think about that just for a moment, and then we're going to kind of move forward through that. But Romans chapter 1, and by the way, turn to 1 Peter, because I forgot to tell you that. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to spend our time. But I just want you, as we begin this morning, to think about this reality. The Scripture tells us in chapter 1 of Romans that those who are under God's wrath, they're they're under His curse. Those who have walked away from God, which is our natural bent, that's the way we are born. We're born abandoning God, going our own way. They do not acknowledge God, although they knew He exists or see Him in all of creation. They do not acknowledge Him. They do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they become futile in their thinking, thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. What it tells us is that man's natural fallen condition, which we've spent a lot of time thinking about, is that of moving away from God, abandoning God, and not giving thanks to God. And so they begin to worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, and all of that kind of is unfolding before us. We can be, and our tendency is towards thanklessness, unappreciative uh, nature, what you could say, and being an ungrateful person. All of those things are kind of the normal pattern that we see. Now, sometimes if you spend any time with people and you meet, for instance, a, a child whose parents have worked hard all their life and provided all the things that you could imagine for a child, and yet as they grow up, they become more and more selfish and they're always taking... Sometimes it's a, a young child, sometimes it's an old child. They're always looking out for number one and they are a selfish person and really... In the idea, when you try to think through that, selfishness is an enemy of thanksgiving. And so we see that in our world where we'll see someone who's been given all these different things, but they're never satisfied and they're always seeking and always wanting their own way. I thought another thing, like someone that grows up in a home or a community or in America, for instance, and we have all of the privileges that we have, and yet if you watch someone that's had all these crazy privileges, and they've had all these benefits of growing up in this world or in the home that they're in, and then they're kind of haughty. And they can become very proud, and they think they're almost like a self-made person. And, and, and they, they become like that, and you think, good night, are you kidding? But re- the reality is, again, as far as an enemy of thanksgiving, the issue of pride comes to us, and we say, we see people all the time who are proud and they're haughty, and they look around and they think that they've made themselves who they are, and you walk with them and you talk with them and you realize that is a proud person and it's an enemy of being thankful. I mean, that's just a reality. Third thing, I just kind of was trying to think through different types of ways we do this, but when we sit around with people, maybe if you've got hunting buddies or fishing buddies or somebody that likes to shop, or, and, and they, ladies get together sometimes, I know men like to shop too, but let's say they get together and they're talking and all that, and we begin to, to talk about um, what we have or what we've accomplished or what we've done, envy begins to set in. And it's, it's, it's a war against being thankful because when we sit around and talk about this is what I've done, this is what I've accomplished, and this is what I have, and this is what I've bought, 
again, it can lead you to not being very thankful. All of those things are kind of, kind of, I would say, enemies of being a thankful person or being someone filled with thanksgiving. There's always a tendency. Now, what happens in our culture is, and this is what something I've really struggled with with our Christian culture, is that sometimes the things that really do not produce gratitude are still like, uh, uh, they're applauded in the Christian culture. There's some things that we look down upon, but there's some things that we really applaud that are not good. For instance, you, you might meet someone who says, I'm just a perfectionist. That's the way I am. And in the Christian culture, sometimes we would applaud somebody for being a perfectionist, but the reality is it's, it's a way of, of, of feeding selfishness in us. Or you meet someone and they, they're kind of this idea that you, you kind of get around them and, and they, they have this, this moment as you're looking at their life, they're really critical of others. And, and, and we say, well, that's a thinking person. But they're loaded with being with a critical spirit. And all the time you watch them, you think you're just critical of everything around you and that's pride in your life. But in the Christian world, it's okay because you're just a thinking person. And it's okay to be critical. And, and, and again, that, that breeds something that pushes you away from being thankful for, for what God's accomplished, what He's doing in other people's lives, what He's doing in this church, all those things. I thought of a third thing that just kind of comes to my mind as far as um, the idea. Sometimes we think in the Christian world it's okay to be a competitor. And that is okay. There's times where that could be good, but when competition rules, it becomes so difficult for you to be around someone to just spend time with them and, and get to get to know them and to, to, to really um, enjoy a game with someone. But again, in the Christian culture, we never call anybody out for pushing competition to its furthest level. Now, what we see, and I'm just going to kind of give you some thoughts about this, because in all those areas, if you watch children follow someone in that way, you, you, you watch them become very proud and very arrogant and very uh, critical of others and very competitive. And they're not serving other people. They're not living a thankful life. They're not like someone that causes other people to be thankful for knowing them. It's a dangerous place to be. So I kind of throw all that out for you this morning because I think it's important when we're thinking about Thanksgiving that we think about our tendency towards breeding a mentality that's not thankful. And I honestly brought out those issues because they're real in my own life. And I think we as a church have to help cultivate a heart of thanksgiving towards others. Of thankfulness to God and to other people and to encourage that. One of the things that happened this last week, I was at the Thanksgiving meal and one of our um, men was, I think he always passes out suckers. Y'all may know who that is, Joe. No, anyway, he, I think he works for a dentist, you know. But anyway, no, but anyway, he passed out suckers to kids. And one of the young uh, men in our church, his son got a sucker. And he says, look, Dad, I got a sucker. And he said, did you go say you were thank thankful? And he said, uh, oh, no, I didn't. So he ran over there and said, thanks, Joe, or whatever. And so in that moment, I was thinking about how in our lives as a church and as a people and as parents and whatever, we are having to, we have to kind of help people grow in that. To mature in that. We live in a culture that is so consumed with what is for me and I deserve this and I deserve that. And we have to press people to think, you need a life of thanksgiving and of gratitude of all the wonderful things that God has blessed you with. We need to press people in this way. 
We need to help people think through that. And we as a church need to embody a heart of thanksgiving. And so I just kind of lay all that out for you as we get started. Because the question for us this morning is, what, what breeds in us a heart of gratitude? What really moves us towards gratitude and towards thanksgiving and towards a heart filled with that? And I would answer that one of the ways and one of the primary ways that we grow in that is learning to praise God well for what He's done. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 3-12. through So we're going to deal with that as we move forward. We're going to see how God reveals to us why we should be overwhelming, like an overwhelming, resounding kind of attitude of thanksgiving in our life. So 1 Peter chapter 1, as you look at this text, We're starting with, we praise God for our past, present, and future salvation. So let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice what it starts with. It is a praise to God the Father. If you know Ephesians chapter 1, again, the praise to God the Father, we see that over and over because of His plan. Notice what we see in here. In this text, it's unfolding for us because of what God the Father has done according to His great mercy He has caused us to be born again. What's He saying? Start here. Start here. You understand that God the Father has caused the new birth in you. You must be born again. And the reality is, He has caused that. At the very outset of our lives, as we are looking over our lives, instead of boastful, pride, arrogant, conceited kind of mentality, we have to come to a place where we realize that Scripture teaches that we once were foolish and disobedient, as Titus says, and deceived and led astray by all kinds of various passions and desires. But, when the kindness of God and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not because of what we've done, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We need to see that at the outset is to say, look, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was separated from God. I was on the way to destruction and God saved us. God saved us. He brought us to spiritual life. It silences all of this thing of like, I can obtain something before God. I can be perfect enough for God. Or I can reach out and do something for God. Or I can be better than everybody in this room and God will be pleased with me. No, at the very heart of Scripture is to say, you can't do anything. And all you have is the hope that God will save you. And it produces in you gratitude and thanksgiving for what He has done. When you stand before God, there is no standing there looking smug and proud. There's nothing left but a person that is broken over their sins. 
They are in rags and they are covering their face in shame and no hope. But God steps in and He brings people to life. Ephesians 1 says, that this is what Paul prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope that He's called you, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. At the end of the day, when you look at your Christian life, there is only one hope for you in overcoming in this present age. It is the supernatural power of the Spirit of God awakening you and sustaining you in this life. It is about the new birth and it is longing to experience that in all of God's power. That's all we're left with. So it produces gratitude because we say only God has done this. No one will stand there proud, but they will be humbled under the mighty hand of God. What does this do for us as we're kind of thinking about this? Notice what he says in, in 1 verse 4, in 1 Peter 1 4. He says, You have been caused to be born again. This is something God has done in you to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What does this mean? It's not corrupted by sin, it's imperishable. We buy things all the time at the store and they're perishable. The other day I went into our refrigerator, opened up, looked at all these things and started yanking stuff out and throwing it in the trash. Why? Because it was bad. It had been bad. Right? Because it goes away. Occasionally, something will hide out. Like It'll find its little way in our, in our uh, refrigerator and it'll hide out and you can't find it. But the smell lets us know that it's perishable. Right? What he's saying is, it is, this is not something that's going to go away. It's undefiled. It's not tainted by sin. It's not polluted by sin. It's unfading. Sometimes maybe you bought a car and you thought, man, that is a beautiful car, right? And you thought, you maybe bought a brand new one. It's spick and span and shiny. But over time, the sun will bleach it out and it does not look like the car that you once had. What's he saying? Our inheritance is 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 it is reserved in heaven and it's not there's in no way is it going to be diminished over time it does not lack any luster it will always be as it has been look at verse 4 again it's kept in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith what does that mean it's kept in heaven you know, I like watching movies that uh, where they're going to... This is probably not a good movie to say I mean, all the time, but I like to watch movies where they figure out how to like break into something that no one could break into, right? And so they go in Oceans... We, I think we have Oceans 11 and 12. You know, anyway, so they're always trying to figure out a way to do this or that. But in heaven, the all-seeing God, the all-wise God, the all-powerful God is holding on to this for us. It's not going to fade away. It's not going away. God is holding it by His power. Now look what it says, through faith. The idea is that God is not only... Listen, He is holding on to you. It Really, Scripture says in Ephesians 2.8, it's by, by grace alone, through faith alone that we're saved. And it's a gift. God gives us faith and He holds on to us. 
He keeps giving us the faith. He sustains our faith. It is reserved there. This is to give people confidence that God is not, it's not just left up to you where you say, well, I just held on by faith and boy, don't I have a great faith. The deal is, is the faith is given back and you say, oh my goodness, all along the way, God has been sustaining and holding on to me and holding on to my faith and building my heart in faith. And it is greater than Fort Knox, right? It is an amazing picture of God holding on to us and continually holding on to our inheritance. And we know we have a future and He's given you stability there. As you keep moving forward, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there is a sense in which we are saved now, but we are awaiting a salvation that is to come. Now, you ready? Does this produce in your heart gratitude? Do you see here the salvation is described from your past, your present, your future? God is sustaining His people all along the way. Does it make your heart just overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving as you think about that? Do you see how it's not tied to your performance? Do you see how you're a recipient of grace and mercy and you're not accepted because you're, you have great ability? Because you can kind of compete for it. And when you get the first prize, then God's going to accept you. It's not based on that. It's not because you have a superior intellect and you can beat somebody down with all your wonderful thoughts. It, none of that is based on it. It is the sheer grace of God. And you can see striving. I'm not trying to live to be, the, the, in a sense, like to be pleasing to God out of gratitude because I am. God is pleased with me through His Son, I want to live. It's a transformation that takes place. Notice what else we're going to see. We praise God for our past, present, and future, but we also praise Him even in our trouble. The present trouble we face, sometimes Thanksgiving is really difficult. Do you know why? Because this last year for you may have been one of the hardest years of your life. You live in a fallen world. There's all kinds of crazy Stuff that goes wrong in this world. Your best plans never seem to work out in this present world. And so what do you do? Well, notice what the text says. We're praising God even in this present trouble because God is doing something. We can give thanks to Him because He's working in it. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is God working in the present? What's He doing right now? How could you, in the face of maybe a disaster, maybe something that's coming, maybe some fear that may come, how do you deal with that? Well, the Scripture tells us like in James, it says, consider it all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. For you know, now listen to what it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Hebrews 12 says the Lord disciplines those He loves. What is God doing in the present? What is God doing in the present that you can be thankful for even when it hurts? He is working something in you. He is moving in your life. He is cultivating faithfulness. He is showing you of His greatness. God is working through those times. He's putting His power on display. He's using it in the lives of people here. When you show in the midst of great suffering and difficulty a heart of thankfulness, it gives other people faith. They look up and say, Lord, I can walk through the moments of my life. I've seen somebody be faithful to You by the power that You've put on display in them. You've worked by Your Spirit to make wonderful things in their, I mean, make a beautiful picture even in the midst of their suffering. God is using our suffering to wean us away from this present age. The idea of a refiner's fire, God is taking us through, and as He does it, yes, it's painful, but He is growing us. He is refining us. He is purifying us. He is helping us see that this present age, as Travis mentioned earlier, that so captures our minds and thoughts is not so valuable after all. Sometimes when you spend time with people and you say, have you ever heard somebody, you ask them like, what are you thankful for? And they sit around and go, well, my new iPad. I got a new house. Did you see my car? And they go through this. They ever sit around and you would look at them and go, are you serious? I mean, that's all, that you're, that's all you can think about at Thanksgiving is some like, thing that's going to be destroyed. I mean, it's gonna, you're going to drop it or it's going to go away. But the reality is, most of us, myself included, often act as if those are the things that are most important. Things. Not God. Not people. Things. It's a dangerous place to be, but here, he's saying, look, there is something going on here as God is refining you that is weaning you away from this world and causing you to love Him and to grow in faith and to see His work. Romans 8.28-30 says, And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. He is doing something. In the midst of great travail and difficulty, He's working out your salvation in you by the power of the Spirit. A beautiful thing to be thankful for. You ever find it hard to do that? You ever been such a tough year, a tough, a touch, a tough month, or a tough day, and you say, "I'm not really thankful." But as you look back, you see how it's God's weaving of His providential care. He's weaving those dark threads into your life so that it could produce something, something more beautiful than just having an easy life. Amazing thing that God does in these moments. So, do you rejoice in the trouble because you know it's a growth? spurt for you in godliness. A couple more questions. Do you see that God's goal in this life is not that you have it all together? Or that you win? Or that you can tell everyone how wrong they are? It is your growth in godliness through trial that you become more like Him. I just think it's important to kind of keep asking that question. So we praise God for our past, present, and future salvation. We praise God for the present trouble that we're living in. And then we praise God that we live right now. You understand, like living right now in this present world where we are is one of the greatest times in salvation history. Do you know why? 
Because we get to experience every promise that God made in the Old Testament, we experience the promise being kept through the Son, Jesus Christ coming, living, dying, and giving His life for us. The Spirit coming down to to fill us in a very powerful way, unique from all other people in salvation history. Notice verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And the things that you have now, uh, have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. What's he saying? The whole Old Testament, all these people are speaking, and they are speaking about something they do not fully understand. They are saying that, and and really they're saying it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and and they don't really get to see the fullness of it. But we do. I mean, this is a powerful thing. We are not asking the question, as Isaiah probably did as he talked about, and we'll look at the suffering servant who gave His life for us, who bore our sins in His body in Isaiah 53. We know of the suffering servant. We know of Him going to the cross for us. We understand the Scripture is clear about that. But not only that, we didn't stop there. We get to see the fact that the suffering servant came back to life and He is raised as the reigning Lord as Daniel speaks of in Daniel chapter 7. These men saw dimly and we see clearly today. We get to understand the whole story of salvation history and we've gotten it. It's amazing for us to receive it. Our hearts should be filled with thanksgiving because of what He's done. It's so, sometimes I think it's so, we're so, and myself included, so worldly minded that I can't see beyond through the eyes of faith and realize that God has unfolded for me more than anybody in salvation history. It's an amazing thing for us as believers in this time. So, you kind of come to the as we kind of move to the conclusion of this we should be more overwhelmed with gratitude by the work of God that's been on, on display for us that's what Peter's trying to say you should be overwhelmed by the power that's shown as he's revealed your salvation all the way through we should be overwhelmed with gratitude when God brings trials because it says i love you trouble in your life God is saying I love you. You are my child. That's what Hebrews says. You are my child. Therefore, I will not allow you to love this present age more than me and I'm going to refine you. I'm going to make you more into the image of His Son and I will do that because I love you. And not only that, I'm going to sustain you through it. We should praise God because we have not just a little glimpse, but we have a full disclosure of God's salvation plan. And we should realize that our selfishness, pride, and envy are not what God wanted for us. When we look at our lives and we're trying to think through, are we really thankful? Are we filled with gratitude? I think we should honestly question what's going on in our hearts. What is most important to us? What are we living for? And what are we striving for? 
And if we are not striving for Him and His kingdom and His glory and His purposes and not trying to lay aside those sins that so come into our lives, we're in dangerous territory. Jesus is a model of what it means to have all the authority and all the reason to be proud and all these things. And He humbled Himself to the point of death and we should follow Him in this. But not just follow Him, we should realize He died because we are those kinds of people. And He gave His life and He rose again and He sent the Spirit so that we would cast off those things and keep walking in a way that is pleasing to God. Ephesians 3 says this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's the promise for us today? It is that God has so worked in us, He's so revealed so much grace and empowered us that we could live in a way that would glorify Him. So listen, so that we listen, we would be a we would seek to be a blessing to him, a blessing to other people, a blessing to those out into the world, that other people would thank God by seeing us. That's what Matthew 5 says. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our desire should be not just so that we could just be thankful, but that we would spread thanksgiving, that we would spread gratitude that we would model that everywhere we go and whatever we're doing, we would be overwhelmed with displaying the glory of God in the working of His Spirit through us. We want to be a blessing. We want to serve other people. We are not just building this life for us. It is to serve others so that they glorify God and join into all the joy of what it means to be a Christian in this present age and in the age to come. Pray that we would be that kind of church. Pray that we would each individually take that seriously. Pray that at the end of our days, it would be one of people known for their gratitude to God, for, for, for their thankfulness for others, and for their blessings to the nations. We would, I mean, I just pray that we would be that kind of people. Well, let's pray together. Father, just make us aware. I just pray that You would make us aware of all of the amazing things that You provided for us in Your Son. Let us see how amazing the salvation is that we have. Lord, help us to, to, to love what is eternal and valuable. And, and Lord, as we go through this life, I pray that You'd make us more and more a blessing to other people that we would make Your name more and more great as we leave this place today. And I just ask You, Lord, if there's someone here today who is still under the curse, they are still um, not in a state of, of, of giving thanks to You, but they're in a state of ungratefulness to You, I pray that they would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.